I'm in much need of God's grace and power this morning as I go into Joel and um, hope to glorify God through that and hope to expound on some things. And I hope that you are greatly encouraged through this. If you will, turn to Joel chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 28 through 32, and I'm going to read it in its entirety. Joel 2, 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I come to you and I just ask you, God, that you would help this message, that you would give this message. Lord, I pray, God, that I would not say anything that would be contrary to your will, that would be contrary to your word, that would be contrary to your mind. God, that it would be clear and concise and that it would glorify you would glorify you in your entirety, God, and that we would be humbled by it and that we would learn to apply it and that we would find application in this in our life, God, that we would better glorify you as we walk out of these doors and as we go forth in our lives this week, that we would find application that we could truly honor you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so in the previous verses, in chapter 2, we saw how the Lord will restore all of Israel. Let me back up just a little bit and give some background in case somebody hasn't been here. Because Joel isn't a book that everybody is most familiar with. So the beginning of the book of Joel is about a plague. A plague of locusts that has come on the land and has devoured everything, completely destroyed it, darkened the skies with the locusts. There were so many. And when you think of locusts, we're talking what closest thing is like what we would say a grasshopper. That they have destroyed everything. There's no food, or the food is extremely scarce, even to the point where they didn't even have enough food to make offerings unto the Lord. And then the last message, we heard how God will restore that. When people humble themselves, when people turn from their wicked ways and turn to him, he brings it back and he restores all of Israel. He restored the years that the locusts had eaten. And and remember, we talked about that in our personal lives, in our lives. There's some who, it, it is an amazing thing how God chooses in his economy to bring people into himself. Some, it's at a very young age, and they have a life that they live for Christ. And some, it is at a much older age, 
And there was a lot of times with older people when they're saved, they have this regret of all this life. But God will restore that. He will restore those years that the locust has eaten. So don't dwell on that. Whatever it is that's in the past, God can and will restore that for his people, as he did with the actual earth, with the actual vegetation and food. So we saw that happen last time. So whatever you've lost in the past, the Lord can restore. But now we get to this point in Joel, and it's like Joel saying, how awesome is that? How great is it that all of these good things are coming from the Lord? But hold on, because you haven't seen nothing yet. Joel is about to reveal something even better. Something better than the land being healed and the crops returning in their highest production. Remember, this is the land that was promised, that was flowing with milk and honey, designating its prosperity, its greatness. And he's saying there's something better than that. Joel brings us an even greater blessing than having all of that earthly greatness restored. We see here the prophecy of Joel. It is, the, it is about, it's, this is like the climax of God's redemptive work. He is prophesying about the climax of God's redemptive work. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So let's look here at verse 28. And 29, they they kind of go together. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Palmer Robertson said this. He says, Joel stands at the midpoint between Sinai and Pentecost. He seizes the patriarch Moses with one hand and the apostle Peter with the other, binding the two together. That's an amazing thing. So let's turn over to Numbers. Chapter 11. Numbers 11. And I'm going to read verse 29. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase what has happened in chapter 11. Moses had called out 70 men, 70 elders of Israel, to basically help him. They became prophets of the Lord. And several things came about, but, well, actually, I'll back up and read, read verse 26. So, Numbers 11, verse 26, but two men, two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Elad, and the name of the other, Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them. And now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle. Yet they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and says, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. So this is going on, and there's these other two men that God had granted the ability. He, he had given them the gift of prophecy. And they're standing in the camp prophesying, and, and, jo- and Joshua was saying, that, no, they shouldn't be doing that. And Moses said this in verse 29. Are you zealous for my sake? 
Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. We have a prayer from Moses back at Sinai, back in when the law was given. So Moses, kind of a picture of the law, right? And he's making this prayer, oh, that the Lord, that all the Lord's people were prophets, that all the Lord's people would have the spirit, the same spirit that allowed Moses to speak on behalf of God. He's praying, I want all of them. Oh, Lord, let all your people be prophets. And then you come to Joel. Joel is standing in between, right? He's standing in between Peter and Moses, and he's predicting the fulfillment of this prayer. And this prediction even exceeds the hope of Moses. It predicts a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will flood the hearts of men. But but in between Moses and Joel, we have David. Right, so, so this is all going to come together. Pray to God this all comes together in, in the message. It all comes together in God's economy, I promise. But pray it happens in the message. In between Moses and Joel, we have David. Right? And the Davidic covenant, the, the covenant that was made with David by God, starts to give us more clarity to what would be the answer to Moses' prayer there. I'm just going to read through a few of these psalms. And when you read through the psalms, you will see this over and over again. Psalm 72, 11 says, All kings will bow down to him, and all the nations will serve him. 67, 2, it says that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Psalm 33, 8 says, Let all the earth fill the Lord. Let all the people of the world Revere him through David. And that you can read through the Psalms. There's more of those. It talks a lot about all the nations, all the people, all the world. So through David, it was becoming more clear that the kingdom of God would include more nations than just the nation of Israel. You know, when you go back to the Abrahamic covenant, it was clear to it was clear that Abraham, that his people, and then you get into, especially with Jacob, that his people, the, the people of Israel, were going to be under the blessing of God. But if you even remember the Abrahamic covenant, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And it becomes much more clear in the Psalms with David. So as we look at the prophecy now of Joel, we need to figure out, who it is talking about. Who is this prophecy talking about? Because it obviously doesn't mean when it says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I don't think anybody would argue that it's actually talking about every single person. Right? Because every single person is not going to receive the Holy Spirit. So we know that the, the all there doesn't necessarily mean every single one. That's a theme that's important to understand as you study the Bible. But what he's talking about there, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on people from all nations. 
Male and female, old or young, bond and free. It's indicated as you go on, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. The sons and the daughters is obviously clear, males and females, right? Sons and daughters will prophesy. Old and young, your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. This is not, the, the idea here, we'll get to this in a minute, is not to focus on the dreams and the visions, but the who. Who is the prophets? Who are going to be the ones to fulfill Moses' prayer? Well, we know it's the males and the females. It's the old and the young. And also men servants and maidservants. Slaves, the bond and the free. It's types of all people. Even the lowest servants will, be, will become prophets of God. People in high authorities will become prophets of God. They will receive the Holy Spirit. So that's the who. From all nations. So what about the what? Who, what is the what? Turn back to Numbers again. A chapter later, Numbers 12, verse 6 says, Then he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark, saying, and he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you afraid to speak against Moses, my servant? So he was, he was showing that Moses had a special place. He spoke to Moses face to face, but he's going to raise up other prophets and he's going to show them, he's going to show that he's going to speak to them in visions and in dreams. So like I said a while ago, the idea here is not to necessarily focus on the dreams and the visions per se, but the prophets that the dreams and the visions validate. That's the purpose of the dreams and the vision. It's not necessarily for the dreams themselves, but that we will know that these are now prophets. Joel is simply making the point that in that time, prophets will arise. Not a few. Not a few, not only a small number like in Moses' time, but a lot. There will be many. People of all nations and ages will receive dreams and visions and will become prophets for Christ. The dreams and visions are the sign that Jesus is drawing near to mankind by the person of the Holy Spirit. That's what this prophecy is about. All right, that's what was this prophecy in Joel is about, and that's what the fulfillment will be about. So, because if you figure until Acts chapter 2, many people's view of God, really until Jesus came on the scene, until Jesus became a man, many people's view of God was a very distant knowledge of his existence and his law. It was a distant, they had knowledge. They taught them well. They were very um, well-versed in the Old Testament scriptures. 
but there was a it was there was a big distance, a gap between God and people. But Joel is now prophesying that it would not always be that way. There's coming a time, Joel is saying, where all men and all women will be able to draw near, or God will draw near to them. So here we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and that is God drawing near to his people. John Piper said this, he said, Joel wanted his readers to anticipate an unmistakable flood tide of God's presence. And I think that's what we see in Acts 2. So that's the what and the who, which brings us to probably the more difficult part, at least for me, and that's the when. So turn to Acts chapter 2. This is the day of Pentecost. It had been 50 days. That's what Pentecost means. It had been 50 days since the death of Christ. And they were all gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of Pentecost. It was a pilgrimage feast, so the Jews would travel back to Jerusalem um, to celebrate this. And so they're all kind of gathered. Jesus had left 10 days before this and had told the apostles and the disciples to wait. Wait here and pray for something that is coming. And in verses 1 through 4, we see it happen. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing, mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to him, appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The prayer of Moses had been answered. The people in the upper room started prophesying, speaking, prophesying in other tongues. And the tongues are significant in this. It shows that this blessing had come to all nations. If you read down through this chapter, through chapter 2, there's actually 16 different nationalities mentioned right there that they are speaking in. At least 16 nationalities being heard in that language. The Spirit had truly begun to be poured out on all flesh. Now that's not the end of it, but that, that was the beginning of the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. And, and it, it mentions that there was both Jews and proselytes experiencing this outpouring of the Spirit. The climatic blessing of the kingdom of God has come. And the Spirit of God that will characterize God's rule among mankind now enters the stream of human history. Until this point, the Holy Spirit had a limited role in how he interacted with mankind. And now he has no longer a limited role, but a very upfront role within God's people, within mankind. Now, you can't go here and not talk a little bit about the nature of the tongues, right? So we, we need to look at that 
just to make sure that we're clear on what was happening. So Peter is applying when when Peter stands up. Um, I'll, I'll go skip down to verse fourteen. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, "Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words." For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes directly from Joel. And so when it said, when Peter now connects what's going on with these tongues to what was said in the prophet Joel, he is connecting what they are speaking in tongues to prophecy. Because you notice in Joel, it doesn't say they will speak in tongues. It just says it will be poured out on all flesh. And the tongues are a, sig- of, of, are a symbol of who that all flesh is. It's all nations. And so he's making this clear that when they are speaking, they're speaking prophecy in other tongues. And remember, the people hear it in their own voice. Let me just back up there. Let me just read verse 5 through 8. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And with, when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each from our own language in which we were born? So they're hearing very clear communication in their own language. And Peter is confirming that when he stands up. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. You're hearing prophecy. You're hearing these common men have become prophets of God by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. It has to be that way or else it's not fulfilling Joel. It was, it's, very un, it's very clear when you read that. It was, this was not gibberish. This was not chance. This was not something that nobody could understand. No, it's actually the contrary. Everybody there was understanding the message. And they were spoken as a sign that the time had come that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we see then that the fulfillment, at least in part, of the prophecy of Joel was clearly on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the death of Christ. The question arises, however, if the entire prophecy of Joel was fulfilled, specifically in verses 30 and 31. And there are several sides to this discussion. Um, Some believe that this has been completely filled Fulfilled with the destruction of Jerusalem. Let me turn back over there and read 30 and 31. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And so we see some people, and and when I say some people, I'm talking about men who have devoted or had devoted their life to the study of scriptures, men whose commentaries 
many of us rely on heavily, and we see differences in opinions on this. But some believe that this is completely fulfilled with the destruction of Jerusalem and when the temple was destroyed. And they would say that the blood and fire and pillars of smoke and when this that that was from the destruction of the temple and there was so much smoke and debris and everything that it blackened out the sun Um, others believe that those two verses will be fulfilled along with the first two verses in chapter three Um, when you get down to chapter three and we'll get into that next time it, it certainly appears that that has not been fulfilled yet and then there's some that believe that it is all um, figurative language. And here's what, I I have my opinions on this, but I'm not going to stand here and preach it because it's my opinion. The details of that are going to be irrelevant for our purpose in application of this today. That doesn't mean they're irrelevant, and we can discuss it anytime you want to, but for our purpose of application today, I think there's a much higher thing that we need to look for. The full implications of all of this to us today is found in verse 32. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It began in verse 28 that all of God's people will be prophets. And this is not to say that all of God's people are prophets as the Old Testament prophets were. But what it's to say is that all of God's people, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will be intimately close to God the way only the prophets were in the Old Testament. And I would suggest to you even more than the prophets were in the Old Testament. Coming on the backside of the, cry, of the cross, we have a relationship with Jesus that Moses did not have. That's incredible. We have a relationship with God that the angels marvel at. So let's make sure we understand what it means by prophecy, by prophesy. The Greek word is prophetia, and it means divinely empowered foretelling. Or asserting the mind of God. And so these people who received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost were doing that directly from inspiration of the Holy Spirit because the scriptures were not yet complete. So they were prophets in the sense, in the same sense that the Old Testament prophets were, in that they are speaking the mind of God so that people will know it. Today, we do it according to the scriptures, as that is, that is where we learn the mind of God. He has completed the scriptures. They are closed. There is no more scripture being written today. There is no need of it, because the Bible is all sufficient. It's complete. But make no mistake here. When we, we, God's people... Proclaim the word of God, it is still divinely empowered. If it is not divinely empowered, it has no power at all. And that is what Moses prayed for. And that is what we should do. 
This prophecy that we now proclaim is not a predicting of the future, but a proclaiming of the Word of God. It is a proclaiming of the Son of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has made us intimately close to Him so that we can proclaim Him to others. It is an easy thing to explain to other people someone you know well. I have no problem explaining. If somebody asks me, hey, what's your wife like? I can tell them all kinds of things. It's not a hard thing to tell them the her good qualities. Why? Because I'm intimately close with her. I know all of her good qualities. I know all about her. We need to be that way with Jesus Christ. If you are not that intimately close with him, when people say, hey, what is Jesus like? If you can't answer that the same way you would your best friend, your wife, your parent, then you need to spend more time in the word of God because you have a higher calling. You have a higher calling. You are no different. If you've been born again, you think about this. If you've been born again, you are just as blessed As those apostles were when the tongues of fire came down and granted them the Holy Spirit. Has the Holy Spirit weakened? No. He's given you the same power that He gave them to proclaim the Word of God. And that's the why. The why is found in verse 32. Because whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You convert, you combine verse 28 and verse 32, and it leaves us with this thought. Those who are in Christ Jesus, those who are brought near to God by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you're now prophets of God. And you have the task of heralding the name of Jesus to the people so that they can call on the name of the Lord. We know that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If people don't hear the word of God, they cannot be saved. And that's why we go out. That's why we talk to our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our students, our children. You know, we're in, in our Wednesday night study with the youth. We're learning about how to evangelize. And one of the homework questions was to go and ask people, ask Christians, how often do you share your faith? And, who, you know, why or why not? And I think it was Stacy Guzman's answer was, yeah, I share my faith with my children. Yes, absolutely. That's our calling. She shares her faith with her children. Parents, share your faith. Share Christ with your children. Men, share your faith with your families. Lead them in this. Children, share it with anybody who will listen to you. I mean, that's our call to anybody. If you're willing to listen, I'm willing to talk. Sometimes even if you're not willing to listen. That's our call. Why? Because it is the power. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And if men and women will hear it, it is promised to us that it will not return void. Does that mean everybody's going to be saved? No. But it does mean some will. It does mean some will. 
We are prophets of God and we have a task to herald the name of Jesus. The good news of the gospel. The good news that we don't have to dwell in our sin any longer. That we don't have to die in our sin. There's a redeemer. There's a rescuer. And our prayers should be like Moses. That God would make this real in our lives. Oh, that God would make all his people prophets. Oh, that God would make me a prophet. That he would make everyone here a prophet. Why? So that people can hear the word of God and be saved. We would all experience the Holy Spirit anew. We could, we could, we would, He would cause us to stand with boldness like Peter and declare Christ and Him crucified. There's one other point I want to make here. Because Pentecost has been misused and mistaught a lot. I want to make something very clear. After the tongues were spoken, and the jeering took place, and what is going on, and Peter said, this is what's spoken by the prophet Joel. And I'm going to read it again in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read through what he says. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams, and my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And listen to what he says in these next few verses. Men of Israel... Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your, in your midst, as you yourself also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And you can read on through there the rest of Peter's sermon. The first Holy Ghost sermon preached. Tongues were spoken in abundance. And what did Peter get up and do? Did he preach about the Holy Spirit? Did he preach about how, look at all these people speaking in tongues. You guys all need to be trying to stand up and speak in tongues. No. He proclaimed the name of Jesus. And any time, I will submit to you this, any time the Holy Spirit has anything to do with the message, it is to glorify Christ. If it is pointing to anything other than Christ and Him crucified, ultimately, it is not the Holy Spirit. There are many of our friends... And family members that would be good to just read the second chapter of Acts completely 
and see what was really going on there. It was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It says it comes from heaven. The wind came from heaven. Straight down. That is not a natural phenomenon. It filled the whole room and they began to speak in other tongues. And then they began to proclaim the name of Jesus. And then from there, read the, read the rest of the books of Acts or the rest of the chapters in Acts and just see what they did. They preached Christ and Him crucified. <clears throat> so, as we pr- prepare for communion today, I want to meditate. I want, I want us to meditate on these things. I want us to think about the Holy Spirit and His role in our life. Let us celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. Is that something to celebrate? If you're in Christ today, you realize the only reason you are is because the Holy Spirit regenerated you. He made you alive. He took out your heart of stone, gave you a heart of flesh. Let's celebrate that. For him, and, and something else, when, he, when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, then that proved that Christ was now seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father. He is seated on the throne. His, his signifying that his work is complete. And he sent the Holy Spirit to fulfill the rest of it in his people. Let us remember that Christ shed his blood to atone for our sins. As we take the cup, let us remember that his body Or as we take the cup, we'll remember that his blood was shed in atonement, a covering for our sins. And as we take the bread, let us remember that his body was mutilated on our behalf. The unleavened bread that represents his sinless body. Let us always remember that his body did not see corruption. And that is why we celebrate. He came out of the grave. He did not stay on this earth, but he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, which is a reminder that he's coming again. And that's what we are here for today in this communion as we take this table, as we sit at this table, that he is here, that he is indeed coming again.